Okay, and the story begins. Second half of chapter 24, page 275. So, what's going on? What's going on? Um, I don't have my books. Oh, all right. Um, what's going on? So, this is the part where uh, we, we learn that there, there seems to be very little gray area. It's, it's, uh, it's black and white. Very black and white. If, yeah. some, if you're introducing somebody to Judaism for the first time, they're Jewish, they grew up Jewish, but they didn't, they don't have, they didn't have a Jewish, you know, the exposure that we have. Yeah. This is the chapter I would recommend not introducing them to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a beautiful chapter. It's a packed chapter. Yeah. And mm. it's not a beginner's chapter. Yeah. It was, yeah. Because it says the honest truth as it is. So let, let, let's take a step back. The theme, the, over, the, the general theme that we're going through here. We're trying to explain how every Jew is passionate about God. Because every Jew has this soul, this dormant love, this hidden love. And this hidden love would stop us from idolatry. But how does it stop us from other sins? So we gave this whole introduction. Well, let's first understand what God is, what God isn't. God is everything. God isn't anything, I guess. Everything is God. And anything. In other words, God... We don't just say there is one God, but God is one. He's the only true existence. And we don't perceive it that way because of the tzimtzum. Because God hides himself. But the reality is, it's all him. And what does idolatry do? Rejects him as the, as the reality of existence. Right? That's why arrogance is akin to idolatry. Because arrogance means there's also me. He's not the only one. A sin is also idolatrous. And we took it a step further. A sin is actually worse than idolatry. A sin is worse than klipa. Because klipa, this energy that hides God, klipa means this shell, klipa at least recognizes the existence of God. It just rejects his unity. And says, well, I also exist and I also have a will. But when we do a sin, what we're denying is not only the fact that God is everything, we're also denying his sovereignty over us. Essentially, his existence over us. What we're doing is we're taking the soul, the energy of Klippa, and we're channeling it into a body. Just like a mitzvah channels God into a body, physically manifests God. A sin physically manifests Klippa. This isn't a good thing. But our default mode... So, now, if we were to stop the, the chapter with, with last week's class, <laughs> this would be... A, it's not, it, you know, kind of ending on a sad note. This, today's lesson begins with the good news. The good news is sinning is not our default mode. He says over here, page 275, that a person will not commit a sin unless a delusional spirit, the Ruach Shtus, enters him. 
our default is to not want to sin. Our default is to actually want to do the right thing. Our default is to see God as the overarching, if you will, reality of existence. To see him as our purpose. That this is our life. And the fact that we want to sin, it's unnatural. There's something blinding us. Is that the animal soul is blinding us? Or, or is it external or what? Good question. Where is this delusional spirit coming from? Good question. Let's take a look on <clears throat> text 3 here. Sorry, text 2 on our sheets. Very good question. The, the, so the text 2 is citing Lakute Torah. It's a collection of discourses authored by the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya. So he didn't... Um, basically, he's addressing it in a different place, not in Tanya. Um, text 2, you want to go for it? Sure. Maybe over, over. Uh, Rather, it, the hidden love of the soul, which results from Chokhmah, of the soul. So that chachma is the openness to, to, to being the bittel, basically, right? Being open to something larger than Curious, ourselves. Sir. Yeah. 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 Is concealed and covered by the sackcloth, <clears throat> sackcloth of the physical body, and this delusional spirit is produced from it. Okay. So this delusional spirit comes from the body. In other words, it, the soul wouldn't produce it. The soul is godly. It's the body, the animal soul body, they kind of come hand in hand. In other words, the, the entire Tanya has a, the whole Tanya is basically a big paradigm shift in how we view life, in how we view ourselves. Before Tanya, BT and AT, right? Back to our friends BT and AT. BT, before Tanya. We live life from the body paradigm, from the animal soul paradigm. It's very natural, it's very normal. That's how we relate to existence. Tanya is trying to get us to see things from the animal soul, from, from the divine soul's lens, from the godly soul's lens, making that switch. In chapter. So, so basically, this Ruach Shtus, this delusional spirit, is able to blind us simply because we're living from the body paradigm. We have to make some sort of paradigm shift from body to soul. And actually, the essence of this shift is discussed in chapter 32 of Tanya where it discusses the mitzvah to love your fellow, making that paradigm shift from body to soul. Now when I view you, from my soul's perspective, I don't see a body anymore, I see a soul. And he says that this is, let's take a look at it, he says a very powerful line, page 363. It's the one, two, three, four, five. Technically, okay, it's the middle of the page, basically the fifth paragraph down. The Torah's root principle is to raise and elevate the soul's importance over the body, lifting the soul higher and higher to the root and source of all worlds. 
the whole root of Torah, the whole foundation of Torah, is shifting our focus from body to soul. And this is really relevant here. Our, when, we're, when we're looking from a body perspective, when that's the, what we live for, when our passion in life is the animal soul's drive, what is comfortable rather than what is necessary, right, the body, the animal soul rather than the divine soul, then what happens is we, we produce this delusional spirit. We're blinded, we're jaded. We don't see life objectively, purposefully. We see what's going to be comfortable. What do I want to do in life, right? Not what do I want to give to life. And we'll soon see that klipa, the difference between klipa and kedusha, holiness and klipa is the difference between being a giver and a taker. We'll soon get there in a minute. But to, to answer your question, this delusional spirit is produced from focusing on the body, not the soul. Um, you know what? Let's talk about it now, actually. Let's jump to page 278. The essence of Klippa, focusing on the basically living life from the animal soul paradigm rather than the divine soul paradigm, is represented by a mosquito. I learned something new about a mosquito reading this. Okay. What did you learn about a mosquito? That there's only one way in. There's only one way in. <laughs> <laughs> a mosquito. They, they don't fall off trees when it gets cold. <laughs> what? <laughs> they, they probably don't do that either. But I didn't know they had only one orifice. Did you know that? I did no. not. Hmm. So according to the Talmud, they, don't need to they ingest... Yeah. They do not excrete. Right. Very refined words. Hmm. <laughs> they ingest, they do, they do not excrete. They're takers. They're takers. They're not givers. They're the bottom of the food chain. They have nobody else to give to. So no Ashir Yart. yart ashir yat, yat sir, for Exactly. Example. If they were Jewish, they would not be able to say that blessing. But what does that teach us? So the Talmud says teaches us you don't want to be you don't want to be worse you don't want to be worse than the mosquito you don't want to be worse than the mosquito right <laughs> the, the, so the Talmud says if we're in a good place this is why was man created last man is the center of creation the center of purpose the purpose of creation so God should have created man first and then have so the Talmud says if we're doing what we're supposed to and we're behaving like we should we look at it as if the, God prepared the entire world for us and, and then put us in it in this ready-made world just for us. But if we're not acting the way we should, then we tell ourselves, even a mosquito, which is the lowest of klipa, came before us and existed and, and preceded us in existence. And, you know, historically, chronologically, it preceded us, but spiritually it precedes us. If we're being a taker and not a giver, which means we're not being holy, we're being klipa. We're living life from the animal soul, not the <clears throat> divine soul. We're actually worse than the klipa because we're supposed to be givers. The mosquito is doing what it's supposed to. It's a taker and it's the lowest of klipa, 
the greatest of concealment of God because it's self-centered. But at least it's doing what it's created to do. God made it that way. We weren't built that way. We're going against our nature. And what's making us or enabling us to go against our nature is this delusional spirit. The Ruach Shtos. Produced from focusing on the body rather than the soul. He says something, something interesting here. Essentially every sin is like idolatry. It's rejecting God. The only difference is in our perspective. Perspective. This Ruach Shtus, this delusional spirit, convinces us that there's a difference. So, when it comes to, were, were, there, were we to be in a situation, in a time of great persecution, God forbid, and we were given an ultimatum, deny your faith, convert, or die. We would choose the latter. We might not feel like we would right now, but we would because this is who I am and I can't give up who I am. But were we to give, have a different ultimatum, 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 sin or be uncomfortable, which one would we likely choose? It would be very enticing just to sin. It's comfortable to sin, often. It's uncomfortable to refrain from sinning, often. So for some reason, we can give up our life and not do idolatry, but we can't give up discomfort for a sin, which is akin to idolatry. That distinction is all ruach shtos. As soon as we get to our heads and we're objective, we say, wait a minute, something's not adding up here. Right? The mind rules over the heart, as we said. Right? Emotionally, it doesn't make sense, but if, if we think about it, Okay, if I could die for God, I could live for Him. And I am willing to die for Him, even though I don't feel like I am right now, maybe. But my soul won't allow me, any, won't allow me to do otherwise. I can live for Him, too. It's a lot more peaceful. So this, this is interesting in the, in, the, in the context of the discussion we had last week. Because, like, in the last week we were talking about, well... Um, do do certain mitzvot have are are certain mitzvot considered of greater importance than other mitzvot? And you know we got to the point. Well, you need to spend up to x and x percentage of your income to right. fulfill a positive, and, but you need to um, uh, spend it all to prevent from doing a negative, right? Uh, and this kind of gives. Uh, further support to that discussion, right? Because it's basically saying, you know, you have to do everything to prevent from... Uh, you have to do everything you can to prevent yourself from uh, doing a negative uh, mitzvah. And, uh, and that makes sense, given that every mitzvah... Doing any negative mitzvah is considered equally bad in God's eyes, right? It's it's not God's will. They're all equally not God's will. Therefore, in all cases, 
you have to do everything you can, no matter what it was, no matter which negative one it is, you have to exert the same energy to prevent yourself from doing it. Yeah. Because they're all equal before God. Yeah. Now, that's not, now, it's all perspective. Um, you have many places in the Talmud where it refers to a lesser important one, a more important one. So this is context, contextual. More important one? Well, so, so, in other words, in, let's say, it depends what you're talking about. If, in regards to reward and punishment, they're not all the same. They're all different, right? According to the Torah, certain, myths, certain sins fall, um, would require capital punishment, would earn capital punishment. Certain sins would be flogging. Certain sins would be, you know, if somebody were to steal from someone, you know, we would they have to repay. I know there's, there's a difference, but in, in regards to God's will... A question on that. Those, those punishments, um, is that... Is that uh, described in the Torah, or that is oh, that is described? In the Torah. Yeah, but that's all explicit. Okay, all it, right. So, were somebody to not look these punishments, nobody's going to punish you these days. Don't worry. <laughs> the rabbinical court of Pleasanton is not going to start whipping you for. <laughs> but, but if you're not punished by a court, an earthly court, then instead you get terrorists or. So you have more of an opportunity to do teshuva. Because well, but you're, you're asking about the terrorists. With the about kares, yeah. Tar- about, uh, sorry, yeah. yeah. You, that yeah. Got me saying, um, the heavenly punishment. The heavenly right. Well, so the, now, the punishments are in, now punishments are in God's hands. There's more opportunity, more of a chance to do teshuva. But, so just, just to give an example. Eating pork would require lashes, according to the Torah. According to? To the Torah. Hmm. On a biblical level, eating pork, the punishment for pork is lashes. <coughs> Where is it? Where is that? I don't remember. That's actually written in the Torah. Oh. Yeah, the, the, the notion of, of lashes. Hmm. And they would go to the, the, the rabbinical court, there would be witnesses, and there would be a whole that's, court session. That's in the Torah? Lashes? For, yeah, eating pork. For, I mean, not specifically pork, but for, for certain non-kosher foods. Eating chametz. Leaven on Passover would be a, a more strict violation. It would be uh, kares, right? Incision, being cut off spiritually. A more severe punishment. Not cut off from your people, but spiritually cut off. Spirit, spiritually cut off. Now, we'll, we'll, we'll explain what that means. Because um, how could a Jew ever be cut off if we have this soul, right? It makes things very confusing. But, but So we'll get to that in a second. But, so it's from a reward-punishment level, chametz is much worse than pork. In other words, from our perspective, from the body's perspective, from a what's comfortable, what's uncomfortable perspective, a self-oriented perspective, there's differences between mitzvahs. Which one will earn me more reward? Which one will prevent me from greater punishment? But from God's perspective... Do I want it or do not? Do I not want it? That's the black and white. And that's the, and that's the black and white. Right. God's a lot more black and white than us. In Perkeiavos, it says, consider the reward against the um, consequence. Exactly. Exactly. So it is interesting. But, but but so from God's perspective, though, when it's coming, 
is it his will? Is it not? In other words, did I cross a line? Did I not cross that line? In other words, if we're looking at not as what do I gain from this relationship, but if we're focused on the relationship itself. So I bother my spouse just a little bit, not that much, so it's okay. Okay, if, if, we're, if we're keeping tabs, you're right. <laughs> but if there's a relationship, did I cross the line? Did I not cross the line? So that's why, it's, that, that's, that, I mean, I, I, I didn't remember it, but of course I don't remember a lot of things. But the, the fact that, you know, here, here we're saying that it's black and white. It's either God's will or it's not, would make you think that there wouldn't be a description of different punishments in the Torah, and that the punishments would have been like dictated by the, 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 the rabbis or dictated in something other than the Torah, since from God's perspective, you either did it or you did not do it. Very good question. Right? And he, he kind of asks that question here in our chapter. And John, you actually asked it last week. If all sins are equal, basically that's what we're saying. All sins are equal. Now again, like I said, if you're being introduced to Judaism for the first time, if you're being introduced to Tanya for the first time, if you're being introduced to Hasidic life for the first time, don't start with this chapter. <laughs> don't go home to your wives and start teaching them what you learned tonight. No, I'm kidding. Because <laughs> everything is contextual. And we're getting to a conclusion here with weeks and weeks of, of context. But the question is, that he asks you, and I think it's very similar to your question. If all sins are equal, because am I crossing the line, am I not crossing the line, right? Because it's a relationship, it's not just what I gain from this. Then why do certain sins require sacrifice, certain ones don't? So when it comes to idolatry, on halachically, according to the Torah... When it comes to idolatry, if I have an ultimatum, idolatry or death, I have to choose death. But if I have an ultimatum, break Shabbos or choose death, what do I choose? Shabbos. Shabbos yeah. no, sorry, I, I choose, I choose, I break Shabbos. Yeah. Right? And the Talmud says, break one Shabbos so you can keep future Shabbos. Right. You but can, the, you, can. You, can, you can keep future Shabbos. Oh. But it doesn't say break one idolatry <laughs> so you can observe this in the future. So certain mitzvahs Required in gen the general rule of thumb is that when it comes to life and death, we break all Torah rules with the exception of three. Which three? Bowing to idols. Bowing to idols, idolatry. So, idolatry, we have to choose death over idolatry. Uh, um, sodomy or adultery? Adultery. Idol idolatry, adultery. You're supposed to choose de death over that. So if somebody forces somebody to have a, an illegitimate relationship with somebody, we have to choose death if that's the ultimatum. Which leads us to the whole question, by the way. Now the Purim's coming up. How did Esther live with this king, right? Achash hmm. Beresh. There's a few. Another question. For a, but, but another question for another time. It's an interesting topic. Um, but just trying to... Get our minds going, right? Um, and the third one is murder. Somebody says, go kill him or I'll kill you. We have to choose death. But when it comes to non-kosher, if I don't eat this, I'm going to die, I eat it. Right? If I have to, if God forbid there's a medical emergency, you get in the car, you go to the hospital. But isn't there a case like if, if you were hostage somewhere and then they put you on TV around the world and they say... We're going to make this Jew eat pork. 
Okay, sure. Yeah, there are exceptions. If it's going to be a, a, a big Kiddush Hashem, it's going to be a big... Um, you know, you're going to sanctify God's name. So, so there are times where it's appropriate, even in other situations. But the, but the general good point. But there's but the general rule of thumb is that those mitzvahs require taking our lives at hand. At, you know, putting our lives, taking the bullet. Other mitzvahs don't. Implying there's a difference between one mitzvah and another. Contrary to what we've been saying now. Not all sins are the same. So how do we how do we um, reconcile. Re- reconcile this? So the way the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, reconciles this, he says the fact that certain mitzvahs require sacrifice and certain ones don't is not an indication of their importance. These ones require sacrifice because God says it does because the but there's no reason to it. And these ones we don't require because God didn't say, but the, but it has it's no reflection on its level, so just so to speak, of importance. Mm. And what's the proof? He brings a proof. We're gonna go into some some Talmudic analysis here. Which we don't usually do in Tanya. But his Talmudic analysis, his proof is the proof that all sins are equal, despite that certain ones require sacrifice and certain ones don't. And those are just because God said. The proof is that according to Jewish law, generally any Jew can be considered a, a slaughterer, is qualified to slaughter kosher meat. And if they slaughter the meat properly, the meat's kosher, with the exception, two exceptions. If somebody's an uh, idolatrous, an idol worshiper. Or they don't keep Shabbos. Or if they break Shabbos. You mean if they break Shabbos constantly or just that one week before? They're not Shomer Shabbos. Well, they could do, you can always do Teshuvah. Person can always return. But but let's say they're in the breaking Shabbos mode publicly. Hmm. The rules publicly. Because there, there is a difference between public and private um, in, in regards to these things. If a person is public about his breaking Shabbos, it, it, what do we see from that rule? So, so you can't eat from his slaughtered meat. But what does that rule demonstrate? It's as important in that case. As idolatry. Even though one requires self-sacrifice, one doesn't. Which means the self-sacrifice is not an indication of importance or lack of. Every single sin is crossing a line and they're all equally important. Another proof which he doesn't mention here, but he alludes to it in his, in the, the, Altadab, the author of the Tanya alludes to it in his code of law that he, wrote, that he authored. Let's take a look on text three. I, I think this is very interesting. This is from the Shulchan Aruch, the code of Jewish law, text three. And it's, it's the laws of Shabbos. Chapter 228, in chapter 228, he discusses when you're allowed to break Shabbos for a sick person when you're not. What's considered sick? What's considered deathly? When can you only break rabbinic law? When can you even break biblical law? And he gets into all the nitty-gritty details, and it's very interesting. A very interesting chapter. Probably more interesting than the, uh, than the window and the courtyard. Yes, yes. My, he gets into those two, but yes. <laughs> so, he, <laughs> so he says, when a mortally ill person requires meat. So let's say somebody's, it's Shabbos. 
And a person has to have meat. And if he doesn't have that meat, he's going to die. An animal may be slaughtered for him. Even though it's prohibited to slaughter meat on Shabbos. You're not allowed to kill on Shabbos. It's one of the 39 prohibitions. Nevertheless, you're allowed to break Shabbos for him because it's, his life is at stake. One should not say, feed him meat from an animal that was not ritually slaughtered. Feed him trafe meat. So why not? In so other words... What? I mean, if you say it, then it's like public. Well, what's... If... So this is comparing... You're causing breaking kashu versus breaking... In other words, I have a choice. I could break Shabbos and save his life, or I could break kashrus and save his life. And we're saying, whoop, we're saying break Shabbos, don't break Kashrus. What's the difference? A sin is a sin, right? Who cares? If, if, so he's, if you had a choice, obviously if you don't have a choice. But we're talking about were you to have, you have a cow here and you have time to slaughter it. And you have a, 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 a pig here or a non-ritually slaughtered meat and you could feed it to him. We, we have the concept that you can break Shabbos to save a life. So, so the question is how are you going to break the Shabbos? Are you going to break it through slaughtering or do you break it... Do you break Shabbos or you break? You could also break Kashrus to save a life. If you slaughter, you're only breaking uh, Shabbos if you give them the not ritually slaughtered, and you're breaking Kashrus. So you're, but you could break Kashrus to save a life. You could break break anything to save a life other than the the big three. The other thing is, if you break Shabbat, you're bringing the sin on yourself. And that's better than putting the sin on him, and it's a sin for him to eat non-kosher. Okay, that's very interesting. Yeah, think about that. That's a very interesting thing. It, so, it's, I mean, it's another thing to, to, to consider. Who's bearing the sin here? Yeah, it's better <laughs> for you to bear the sin maybe than to well, push but, the sin off on so, him. So let's say he's qualified to slaughter. Maybe he'll be the slaughterer. Let, the, the, sick the sick person. Okay. Say theoretically, this this is all. But if he's mortally he, ill. He's, he's mortally ill, but he's not sick enough to. Slaughter. But but he's able to slaughter. <laughs> I don't know. Let let's just let's just just, just for argument's sake. Because you're asking a very good question. I don't know the answer, so I'm hmm. I'm backing out of it by by creating a new case. <laughs> let's say theoretically, this sick guy could slaughter. He has to have meat, and he has an option. I can break Shabbos, or I can eat non-kosher meat. Either way, you're allowed to violate Torah law to save a life. So which one should he do? The answer is slaughter. Why? For By giving a Jew meat from an animal that was not ritually slaughtered, one will merely violate an ordinary prohibition rather than desecrate Shabbos, which is a prohibition punishable with execution by stoning. So, I mean, sorry, that's part, of, that's part of the question. In other words, Shabbos, you would, think, you would think to choose Kashrus over Shabbos because... Shabbos, breaking Shabbos is a capital punishment, stoning. He's mortally ill. Yeah, but in this case, you're saving a life. (laughs) But but again, you have a choice to save his life by breaking something that's capital punishment or breaking something that's a lesser degree kosher. Actually, this is a kind of, I don't know if the right word is paradox, but I've often thought of it as a paradox where, on one hand, the punishment for breaking Shabbos is, is stoning, the other hand, in order to save a life, you can break Shabbos. It's almost like contradicting but, each other. But you have so you have an opportunity. You have a choice: break Shabbos, which theoretically is stoning. Obviously, you wouldn't get stoned here because you're saving a life. But it shows the severity of the sin. Hmm. Or you could break Kashrus, 
which is just flogging, lashes, indicating that it's a lesser degree of a sin. Yet we still say break Shabbos, not lashes. Not, not kosher, right? You could break either to save a life, but it's preferable to break Shabbos rather than break kosher. And the reason is, here's the reason, very relevant to our discussion here. The reason, second paragraph, the reason this course of action is taken is that in this instance, when one eats meat from an animal that was not ritually slaughtered, were you to give him non-kosher, he commits a transgression with every olive-sized portion he swallows. Every bite, every bite is a new sin. In contrast, when slaughtering, one violates one prohibition, even though it's more severe. So you have a choice. Break Shabbos, break Kashras. Although Shabbos is a more strict, it's, it's, right, it's, a, it's a stricter punishment, theoretically. Obviously, he's not punished here because it's, it, it's needed to save his life. Yet we say break Shabbos, not Kashras, because you're doing more sins. In other words, we're not looking at the punishments... We're looking at how many times you're going to cross the line. Quantity versus quality. Yeah. We're looking at how many times you're going to cross the line. When it comes to breaking Shabbos, he's going to, if we say break Shabbos, he's crossing the line once, even though it's a more strict punishment. But if we say break Kashrus, he's going to cross the line several times, even though it's a lesser punishment. So we don't say, oh, it's a lesser punishment, do that one. We say you're crossing, the less, you're crossing less lines with this one, do this one. We're not focused on the reward and punishment because it's not about us. It's about the relationship. Does it make sense? Yeah. yeah. I just never realized that every time you take a bite, that's a new sin. That was like having the meal is like, like one, one, big, one big sin. So on Shabbat morning, I drive to synagogue because I live seven and a half miles away. And I can't every walk. time you, you hit sure you that accelerator. That? No, no, I'm thinking it's only one. I'm only violating one thing by driving but look at all the mitzvahs i wouldn't be able to do if i didn't get to so i'll tell you what true story oh, go ahead. i'll tell you if you're going to be driving anyways better arrange an uber before shabbos hmm. you oh. could schedule an uber not that it's okay i mean it would be less violations you have it scheduled before shabbos it's coming at this time so kind of and you're having you're having a non-Jew. It's still problematic, but it's not as problematic. When, when I used to drive, from not that I'm sanctioning Ubers on Shabbos. That's not my job. <laughs> Before I, I would sleep over Shabbos when I used to drive on Saturday mornings from Mount House to here for for Shabbos. Um, it got to a point, and I had confirmed this with Rabbi Resnick that I would actually set cruise control as soon as I got on the freeway. It was a challenge, but there there were a few times I made it all the way from the entrance near where I live to exit Pleasanton. It, it was like killed a few people on the way, but it was worth it. No, it was amazing. <laughs> I was, but doesn't your new car have adaptive cruise control? Oh, that would have been so nice. That's interesting. So what you need is a Tesla, because that would have helped so much. Yes. No, but I, uh, I used to like I would be driving along at like seventy and hoping. Okay, I hope that. Gap just opens just enough so I can slip in there, and a couple times I made it. But the but the the point is, I had discussed this with Rabbi Resnick. He said it was better to just hit the accelerator once, and then then many set times. it, then keep hitting it myself. So every time you hit this accelerator is a sin. It seems that that was a separate sin. Yeah, I mean it depends on the mechanics of the car, but. <laughs> 
well, regular gas combustion engine. Tesla might be better also. Right. Because there's no fire involved. Yeah. It's like mm. turning on a LED light versus an incandescent. Yeah. Which has it, which there are, not that you're allowed to turn on either, but, but there's a difference. Mm. But Uber, you schedule the Uber before shop as it shows up. So there was a time I was coming for uh, either Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur, I forgot which. And it just happened that one of my Goyim friends uh, was interested to see the service. So he picked me up, gave me a ride. And then when I told Raleigh about it, he, he was so impressed. Like he, he almost put it as if I didn't break um, the holiday by getting a ride from a, a Goyim instead of <laughs> So, so that's like the kind of idea with Uber, right? I mean, it's 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 different than. Look, if somebody's keeping Shabbos, I would never say you can go in an Uber. What what if the Uber driver is Jewish? Chances are, the probably chances are he's going to be an Arab. <laughs> <laughs> so I was thinking, has nothing to do with what we're talking about. So. I can't hear the, the service without my hearing aids. I can, but not, not as well. I will, I'll miss a bunch of words, especially on the English. It doesn't matter if I miss the Hebrew. <laughs> uh, but uh, I was thinking, don't turn off my hearing aids on Shabbat. Just like, take them out of my ears. Because usually I open the battery doors to save the batteries. Yeah, you might want to keep them I, just on. Leave them, just leave them on, and then I can just put them back on in the morning. I, I yeah. Hate to, I hate to bring this up, but isn't that making an issue for everybody that's been speaking? <laughs> Nobody could talk to you. No, you, no hearing aids are allowed. <laughs> oh, they are? Yeah. It's it's a whole discussion how they are allowed, but they... But the thing is, I, I, I'm Especially not turning if I don't turn them off. No, what he's saying is when yeah, somebody, it's like to, talking into a microphone. Yeah, you oh. can't amplify it. But, it, but yeah. it's, it's different than, there, there is a whole discussion on it. But it just yeah, has to do with the fact that a person who's wearing hearing aids is actually wearing hearing aids. Just like if you walk to, you can wear your talus and walk down the street. So, I mean, that addresses the carrying issue, but it doesn't address the other electronics. It could be a life issue. issue because you need to be able to, if you're walking the street, be able to hear cars and stuff, that's dangerous. Yeah. I mean, hearing's not that bad. But the, the thing is, so it's not a big deal actually for this because I can hear men okay because the voices are lower. My high pitch hearing is gone, so I have trouble with women hearing women speak. <laughs> I actually have that so problem. Is that, is that yeah. a bad thing? <laughs> it's My a wife thinks it is. It's a blessing <laughs> and a curse. <laughs> Anyway, um, I but I would still miss a lot of comments and things. Yeah. No, definitely, definitely leaving leaving them on before. Yeah, that's definitely. Is it kind of like me using the CPAP and turning it on before Shabbos? Yeah, same same idea. Similar idea. Definitely leaving them on before. So, but, anyway, and anyways, our, our our point here is just to illustrate that even though Shabbos is more strict than kosher. Better violate one Shabbos to save a life rather than several instances of kosher, even though Shabbos is more strict. And the point is just to illustrate that from time, from, from, is it God's will or is it not? That's really the way we're looking at it. Um, are we crossing this line? Or are we not? That that's the bottom line. Like to be or not to be. That is the question.
Now he says that the separation that happens to the animal soul is only during the sin. After the sin, it kind of reverts back to its old self, right? The delusional spirit confused it, deluded, del made it delusional, got it to sin, separated it from God. It's not separate from God for all eternity, unless it gets caris, but, but caris, I'll explain what that means in a minute. I promise. <laughs> um, after the sin, He goes back to his original conscious connection with God, theoretically. Still has to do Teshuvah, because there's still an impact of that sin. But where, where, where does Kharis fall in here? What does it mean to be separated from God? How could a Jew ever be separated from God? So he's not Jewish anymore? It's separated from God or the Jewish people? No, no, it's from God. So last week you were talking on the on the recording last week that um, if you consider God insignificant, then you're complete, you're separated, right? That wasn't, if you, there are some things you do which infer that you think God is insignificant. Wasn't that on last week's? I wasn't listening. Well, I, don't, I didn't hear the recording. I think what you're referring to is, um, that uh, to to uh, if 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 you do a sin, you are uh, disconnecting your connection with Hashem, but you're also saying to yourself, God is not important. God is mm -hmm. irrelevant. You know, uh, is is that what you're yeah, getting yeah, at? Yeah. Maybe this doesn't so fit for yeah. connection. So if you sin, you're... It's a disconnection. Disconnecting. So, so in, in the third section of Tanya, this is the first section of Tanya. The third section of Tanya is all about Teshuva. Discusses Teshuva. And he brings a verse from somewhere, I don't remember where, that describes the, the connection of a Jew to God as a, as a rope, a lifeline. And he says this rope is made of 613 mitzvahs, 613 strands. That's the rope. And each sin, so a sin cuts off, you know, it severs a, a strand, but I'm still connected. But it's weaker. But it's weaker. E each mitzvah is a fiber. It's, like, it's a fiber of that rope. There's 613 fibers, right? The rope gets weaker and weaker. If I, if I do something which merits kares, which means incision cut off, the rope is totally severed. Or I could do several sins, and that can equal kares, same, right? It could equal out. Now, he says if you do teshuva, you've tied that rope, and now your, your connection's even stronger, right? The knot is the toughest part of the rope. In, in real life, it, the, well, the knot is the weakest part of the rope. Is it really? It is. Oh, man. Well, what if you, if you take scissors, what... It's easier to cut the knot than to cut the, the actual rope itself? No, because the, the knot is part of the rope because it's one continuous rope. I know that from because I sell fall protection. And we <laughs> always tell people, don't put a knot in your rope. They'll, they'll tie it to an anchorage. They'll tie it. So you want to have that rope there 
and you connect to the rope with a, a device. Interesting. You, you want to have that rope there, so if you fall, the rope it stops you right there on the rope. So you put it up around an anchor, something very strong, and you usually run it through a plate, so you just run it back and forth, back and forth, but you don't tie a knot. But you don't tie it. Because the knot will actually reduce the it's, strength of the rope. Because so it pulls on itself, and it cinches, and it can break the rope depending on how much force you put on it. So maybe the analogy needs to change to a broken bone. Because isn't isn't the isn't a broken bone healed stronger? Where the where the healing point is stronger. It is, yeah. So maybe you need to change your analogy. Okay, so we're gonna have to change it. My problem is I don't think of bones as connection. Maybe maybe the tendons Well if you were to take scissors, what's the hardest part of the rope to cut? Well, the knot would be harder to cut because it's way thicker. So I mean in terms of in terms of severing this connection. Yeah. Okay, so if you're pulling on it though, strength-wise, the knot is the, the knot is going to fail. Okay, probably. I see. No, that makes sense. Interesting. I have to be careful with my analogies. No. <laughs> you have science people in the room. <laughs> Tough crowd. No. <laughs> so, so car race incision is is a total cutoff, but it doesn't explain this in Tanya, but he explains this in in other areas in his other discourses, that this connection of a rope. That's our conscious connection, right? It, uh, Freud has the id, the ego, the superego, right? Our conscious connection can be cut off. But our subconscious connection, there is a part of the soul which is not defined by how we think and feel, which is a deeper sense of identity, who we are as Jews, that can't be cut off. So even incision, yes, we're cut off consciously. On a conscious level, we've, we've severed that connection. But our Jewishness is still there. Our, our, the, the, there is a certain part of our soul which is not just the way we think and feel that have been cut off. Who we are still remains. Um, so is Karis a while you're living punishment? Or? So, so, well, there, there's, the, there's the halachic slash physical element of Karis and then there's the spiritual element of Karis. In regards to the spiritual element of Karis being cut off from this relationship with God, the relationship is still there, just not conscious. We can always do Teshuvah and bring it back. Um, the, the, the analogy he brings is you, at nighttime, it's dark, but the sun is still shining. But you'll only see that illumination on the moon. When you don't see the sun illuminating on the moon, it's not because the sun's not shining, it's just because the moon's in the wrong place. Similarly, we sin, we've distanced ourselves from God, and now we're not illuminating, our souls are not illuminating our hearts and minds. We've cut ourselves off. So the illumination has to come from God. We but, can't well, the illumination, so the illumination is still there, but we have to realign ourselves. Right? It's, we have to realign ourselves, put ourselves back. And that, so... Are we cut off? Yes, but we can always come back. We can always come back home. You could also use the analogy of an antenna. If the radio or TV waves are always there, but if you don't have the antenna right. aligned right. Right, if you don't put in the right Wi-Fi password. <laughs> yeah, got to have the, the password. Got to have the password, right? And our, our aligning our, our views, our values, and most importantly, our behaviors, and doing the mitzvahs right, it's the right password. It's the right Wi-Fi password. It's hooking. It's it's connecting us. 
And he ends off saying, on 283, um, the second to last paragraph on 283, as was, as was explained above in chapter 2, that the root and source of every soul in the house of Israel is from the supernal Chachma, which is so intimately bound with God that he and his Chachma are one. Chachma is the inquisitive part of the soul, part of the soul that's totally open to something larger than what it could possibly understand. And this is part and parcel with God. This is a piece of God. And what happens when we sin, and to take such a holy entity as the soul and drag it into sin, is comparable to taking the king's head and dragging it and dunking its face into a toilet full of excrement. There's no greater humiliation than that, even if the person does it just for a moment. So the sin is one moment, right? I took the king, I dunked him, I gave him the swirly, but it was just that one moment. Remember those from high school? No. (laughs) It was just that one moment, but at the end of the day, we crossed the line for that moment. That's good visual there. We've dunked the king. We have a piece of the king within us, our souls. And we're dragging it down. It's uncomfortable. I'll tell you a story I just heard today. It, it's an, it, it, I see it as an analogy for this portion of Tanya. Rabbi Label Shapiro. He is the, the head of the yeshiva, the Rosh Yeshiva of the Chabad Yeshiva in Miami. He was a young student in yeshiva. And yeshiva bachers, in the summers, they would go around to remote areas to spread Judaism where they don't necessarily even have Chabad houses, especially back then when he was, you know, he's, he's probably close to, he's in his 70s, I think. You know, back when he was a kid, there wasn't that many Chabad houses, and they would go around the country, different areas, and, and all the yeshiva guys would go in pairs, go door-knocking, find Jews. And so he says, he's staying at a shliach's house, at a, at a Chabad rabbi's house. And the room they were staying in had tons of books. For some reason, these rabbis like books. And there was tons of books, and, and they, were, they were very curious, they're looking around, and they find one book that caught their attention, it was a binder. And they open the binder, and it's letters from the Lubavitcher Rebbe to this person that they're staying at, to this rabbi whom they're staying at, that they're staying at their, his house. They ask the rabbi, do you mind if we take a look at these letters? It's very intriguing. He says, go for it. The letters were about, so, so basically this rabbi wanted to go to college, and the Rebbe was hardcore against college for most people as a as a rule of thumb especially for somebody who's in this person's situation who was a yeshiva boy he was a rabbi the rabbi felt that it was very inappropriate for him to go to college um felt that the environment was inappropriate that it's gonna descend all, all you know all the different negative things and the rabbi wrote three separate letters to him on this subject and one thing the Rebbe said, the, the, the Rebbe, there was three points that I found very interesting. The Rebbe said, you're a shliach, you're my emissary. And according to halacha, according to Jewish law, 
an emissary, an agent, is has the same. It says shluchu shel adam kamoso. A person's emissary is like him himself, and this is true halachically. So if I were to give you a dollar to give to tzedakah, you're my agent. I gave the tzedakah. So when a shliach of the Rebbe goes to a town, it's the Rebbe coming to that town. So he says, you're going to college, you should know you're going to be bringing me there. And I don't want to be there. I don't want to go. That's not where I want to be. It reminds me of this idea in Tanya. We're all shluchim, we're all ambassadors of God. And if there's a place God doesn't want us to be, we're not just transgressing His will, we're actually bringing Him there. To a place he doesn't want to be. The Rebbe brought another idea He's in Halacha. Um, somebody who's exiled to the city of refuge. The famous city of refuge in the Torah. So one of, one of the punishments, speaking of punishments before, was being exiled. If they didn't know what to do with the person or whatever, sometimes they would send them to exile. And the rule is, that exile was supposed to be a rehabilitative environment. And his rabbi has to go with him. <laughs> Rebbe says, you're going to exile, you're, 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 you're schlepping me with you, I don't want to go there. And the Rebbe said, in case, you're say, in case you're thinking to yourself, maybe I can undo our connection, and I'll go to college, we'll go our separate ways, I'm no longer your agent, I'm no longer your emissary, I'm no longer your follower, I'll go my separate ways and I'll go to college. He says, it doesn't work, you're still going to be schlepping me there, we're already stuck. And he says, when a person converts, person converts, he has to, a convert accepts the mitzvahs upon themselves, right? As a, as a Jew, what happens if they accept Judaism upon themselves, the mitzvahs, and then they start sinning right away? They're still considered Jewish. It's not like they undid their conversion, they're stuck. So the Rebbe said, you committed to this. <laughs> you committed to, to being my ambassador, you're stuck. We're committed to being God's ambassadors, and we didn't even have the choice because we're we either we converted into it or were born into it, but either way, we're stuck. And when we go to a place where God doesn't want us to be, just like this rabbi would be schlepping the rabbi to a place that everybody doesn't want to be, we'd be schlepping God to a place where he doesn't want to be. Now again, please don't introduce this as the first <laughs> so, so, introduction uh, you know, to Judaism. This, this, this story, um, I, I can see why you brought, in, brought it in as an as. It as an analogy, sorry. No worries. Um, but uh, I still see a great, well, maybe I shouldn't, but I still see a, a differentiation when we're talking about God versus talking about um, uh, a, a shliach. Um, and, and not to say that the Rebbe is God. That's not no, no, I know. I, know. <laughs> I guess I guess my point though is like, is like okay, there. We keep talking about how, like, okay, you know, how do we take something um, and elevate it, right? So, so we can take something ordinary and we can elevate it if it's for the purpose of servicing, uh, of, of, in service of God, right? So um, there are lots of things that, that require knowledge that just, you probably, uh, some people are self-taught, some people are just geniuses, but some people go to college to get knowledge. To say, for example, work on the Chabad website. There's times which, where it's a, there's times where it's a, it's appropriate to get an education. That, right, right. So yeah. I guess that. But but in the, in this specific case, for this specific person, for this in this or specific the, the people, I can okay. But so the would because you know the, the the way you set the story, it's almost like um, 
this was true for, for, for everybody, but I don't think it's that, that was your intention necessarily for me to think that. The, I think it's true for a lot of people. Though. A lot, but not... But the, I the my, my sons would be just as well off if they hadn't gone to college. Then, speaking of your, speaking of your well, sons, Jen, okay. Dennis Prager is very against college. He is. <laughs> and he has a PhD, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, he could... Go. And he regrets it. Russian I, I went to college, but not against college. So, so the, the general rule was for a person who grew up in the, in the Chabad Shiva world, the Rebbe was not for college. The Rebbe was very against college, um, especially given the environment, especially back then in the, you know... Well, it's it, worse now. I mean, I'm yeah, sure it's worse days. now. With, with, I'm saying if back then he was against it. but That, that was the general rule of thumb. Um, there's times where it may be appropriate to get an education, and everybody has their rabbi and will consult, but what, what would be the rabbi's view in their given situation? But but the point here is I bring that not to not to to bash college necessarily. In other words, the point here is just to illustrate that we're just like this guy was an ambassador of the rabbi, yeah. and the rabbi felt that he's bringing the rabbi there and he shouldn't. He we're all ambassadors of God, and there's places where we shouldn't be bringing God to. Don't drag God in the mud. Don't give him a swirly. <laughs> yeah that yeah so that, so so that's our point it can can it be appropriate to go to college look i'm in college that doesn't make it a kosher necessarily but just because i'm doing something no i'm kidding but no no but i mean i, I but I, I mean, but it's, it's online true. and it's it no there's also a difference between or there may be a difference between going for a specific education and and like Going to vocational school is better than going well, for a, like a liberal arts degree. That's what I'm saying. Going well, to sure. waste. Okay, but so, so like you know, there, I'm sure there's plenty of physicians who are in Chabad. Well, you don't become a physician without going to college, right? So the, so there's um, applications where it's so there's applications. Yeah, it's generally no. But the point of this story is just to illustrate that in this situation, yeah, the Rebbe felt that. You're taking me somewhere where I don't want to be, yeah, and I don't want you to be. And and yeah. it's the same thing with our relationship with God. There's places, there's situations, there's circumstances where God says, I don't want to be in. And I don't want you to be in, and I don't want to be in. And you guys, the Jewish people, says God, are my ambassadors. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Yeah, that makes sense. Leave your power of reason and your morals at the door. Why, <laughs> 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 a college?